0: The NFL is exploring three new countries. We know the Super Bowl 58 halftime show main act and the Jaguars are telling Jacksonville your money or your team. Plus we have the NFL Network's Jamie Erdahl on later in the show. It's Monday, September 25th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter and this is Front Office Sports Today. In 2020, Rock Nation, the production studio founded by Jay Z, began co producing the Super Bowl halftime show. That year, shortly before the world turned upside down, the act was Shakira and J Lo. They were followed the next year by The Weeknd. In 2022, we had what I thought was the best one in a long time with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, and 50 Cent. And then last year with Apple Music taking over as the sponsor for the show after a decade of Pepsi, it was the visibly pregnant Rihanna. And on Sunday, the NFL announced that the main act for Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas on CBS will be... Usher. 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 It's eight-time Grammy winner Usher. And Usher, if you're listening, the bar to reach for is not any of those shows I just mentioned. It's not your previous appearance back in 2011 as a special guest at the halftime show headline by the Black Eyed Peas. The standard for every halftime show should be Prince in 2007. For my money, no one's done a better. Right, Usher? Yeah. Staying with the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars are preparing for consecutive games in London, but while they're gone, they gave their home city something to think about. The team wants to make around $2 billion in renovations to TIAA Bank Stadium, and they want half of that to come from the public. And what do you do if you want that amount of money from your local governments? You threaten relocation. Last week, Jaguars president Mark Lamping was asked about a potential vote on that funding, and he replied, quote, Do you want to keep the NFL in Jacksonville? In case the message somehow wasn't clear, he went on to say, if Jacksonville loses an NFL team, they're never going to get another one. Hey, it worked in Buffalo, where the Bills got $850 million between state and county money, and it sounds better than give us the money or we'll pay for this ourselves. If they do go forward with the renovations, the team will need to spend at least a season away from their regular home, which could be spent at the Daytona Speedway or, hey, maybe London. Meanwhile, on Sunday, down the I-95 from Jacksonville, The Miami Dolphins scored 70 points against the Denver Broncos coming within a field goal of the all-time record for points scored by a single team in one game. Previously, we mentioned rumors that the NFL had its eye on Spain as a potential site to play in, and on Sunday, ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that yes, they are scouting Spain and they are also looking at Brazil and Australia. None of those countries have hosted an NFL game before. In Spain, they could be setting up another contest between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid as the league is scouting the former's Estadio Santiago Bernabeu and the latter's Estadio Metropolitano. Real Madrid stadium was built with a retractable pitch with NFL games in mind. In Brazil, the league is scouting sites in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. Australia seems to be more in the feasibility stages because playing there presents massive logistical challenges. But if it does happen, it's likely that the game would feature at least one of the Los Angeles Rams and the Philadelphia Eagles, because those are the teams with marketing rights down under. The Miami Dolphins are the one team with marketing rights in Brazil. Any NFL game in either country would be the first the league has played south of the equator. Up next, my colleague Mike McCarthy spoke to Jamie Erdahl of the NFL Network's Good Morning Football about the show's surging ratings, how she has gelled with her co-hosts over time, and who makes for the best interviews in the NFL. That interview is coming up right after this.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Mike McCarthy for Front Office Sports Today. I'm thrilled to have Jamie Erdahl of the NFL Network join us as our special guest today. Welcome, Jamie.
2: Hi, Mike. Good morning. How are you?
1: Okay. I was watching your show today. You threw about a 30-yard scene pass... (laughs) Right down the middle. It was a Traeger. Did you play football? Uh, normally,
2: Normally it's Kyle who just kind of takes off on a tangent metaphorically and physically in the middle of a segment. So it was Kyle who was, you know, streaking to commercial, if you will
1: but yeah. well, anyway it was it was a touchdown great pass
2: thank you thank you
1: so, so let's get rolling um you joined the show uh, and ratings are taking off this year uh, from what I understand you're up double digits this season and it's the show is just getting stronger and stronger tell us about your experience uh, on uh, good morning football and why you think the ratings are up this year.
2: Well, I would love to say it's the chemistry of the cast after one year, although I'm sure that other guy who lives in New York or recently moved here as well, Aaron Rodgers, has a little something to do with it to start this season. Um, But to speak to my experience on the show so far, like I said, it's been 13, 14 months since I've joined Good Morning Football. Um, Last year, I think for all four of us, that was a major change. And it's taken me a year to realize that, you know, that was, it was tough on myself and my family. I moved my two little kids and my husband cross country, you know, I started the show the next week. It was so fast. Jason's coming off of playing. He puts the pads away and starts doing television, something, an endeavor in which he has never done TV before, let alone three hours a day. But then also, it's taken me a year to appreciate how much of a change that must have been for Peter and Kyle, too. I mean, they they had been without Nate for a season, but to go and change two of your people that you work with every day, it took a full year to get to know each other in a way that now we are just, I feel like, firing on all cylinders. We it's like when you're dating somebody and you like, you got to see him in all these different scenarios. You're like, I want to see you change a flat tire. I need to see your flight delayed six times. Like we have seen each other now through a lot of different scenarios, both good and bad. And I think all of that comes to a point where now, once we hit the second season, the team chemistry is fantastic in a way that even if the times get tough, we, we have each other's backs and we also understand what makes, you know, each other tick. And I think that makes the shows really good and they move. They move really quick.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I actually talked to all the people in the business and several people have pointed to me that they love the chemistry of the show and that it's really been an inspiration for other shows, uh, including some shows on uh, ESPN. How do you feel about that?
2: That's such a compliment. I've always been somebody who, and I I, I bring back to my time at CBS where – I was doing one game a week, whether it be the NFL or the SEC on CBS. And I spent so much time with my broadcast partners, primarily on football. It was Greg Gumbel and Trent Green on the NFL. And on college, of course, it was Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson. I mean, those four gentlemen in my life, at my lifetime at CBS, they saw me through engagement, marriages, the birth of both of my children. I I get very close in my life with the people that I'm on TV with. I think it's the best way to like each other. I don't know. I have no other way to explain it. So when I entered this phase with these guys, I just approached it the same way. And I think starting on the same day with Jason, we live about 15 minutes from each other in New Jersey. We've gotten our families together. The cast has gotten together, all of our families. We've traveled internationally together, the four of us. Um, but I firmly believe that you have to respect each other and like each other most of the time in order to have this, this good thing going. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, Word on the street is uh, the commish watches good morning football uh, every morning while he's on his treadmill. Is that true?
2: I have heard that too. On the treadmill. I don't know if it's just like a tagline he once put out there because that's a good thing to be known for is that you're on the treadmill every morning. But uh, man, I would be thrilled. We've had, we had Troy Vincent come in a couple weeks ago and he said he has us on in the morning and it's just, it's up on park Avenue. It's just such a compliment. You know, uh, Roger Goodell and I were on the same flight together back from Germany last year. And I've never felt more intimidated and proud and excited to stand a baggage claim with somebody for as long as we did. And We just had a great talk about family and the show, and I look back at that now and just like that's such a formative person in all of our lives. I mean, he is the ultimate decision maker because of the shield that sits in the middle of our Good Morning Football table. So the fact – I'm like, nobody let the treadmill break, and everybody should keep up on their cardio, and then Good Morning Football will keep going. (laughs)
1: Let me uh, mix some metaphors here. I mean, when I I talked to uh, Mike Greenberg at ESPN, he said his job and your job is really being a point guard – Uh, how do you juggle that? How do you make sure you're getting the best out of the three people while keeping the show running on time and keeping the train running on time?
2: Um, I was a point guard in college, so that helps that it's the mark of, um, I like when other people look their best and sound their best and feel like they are in the best spot to be their best version on television. And it's, like I mentioned, it's taken me a year to best understand how to phrase things or even my body language towards Jason or how I tee things up for Peter is very different than how I approach things with Kyle. I think in a point, it's the way you pass into the, into your center, into your four, your five, someone likes a backdoor cut, somebody doesn't like, that's a good, that's the mark of a good point guard. Um, Furthermore, you have to be ex- extremely selfless and I'm not patting myself on the back. Like I, I-, I go back to my time at CBS and that being a sideline reporter, it is not about you. You are telling somebody else's story. My job is to set Nick Saban up in a way to give the best answer possible, frankly, in saying the least amount of things as possible, in my opinion. I think the quest- best questions sometimes are the quickest. And I think all of my years on the sideline helped me be able to manage that. But then there's also a flicker of I enjoy sharing my own flair to it too sometimes, but I I enjoy being that role.
1: Yeah. Who are the best interviews in the NFL? I mean, you get to interview the the players, the coaches – the GMs, everybody. Who, who are the you know the who makes for the best TV?
2: Well, in general, it's the person who actually listens to the question and responds accordingly. You know, you you really start to grind your teeth at night about people who just spit the the idioms back at you. Um, Sean McDermott comes on the show a lot. Uh, I think he's fantastic because. He treats football at, at the right times the same way we do all the time, which is there are parts of football that can be really fun. And we what, what we ever want on our show is to make somebody feel like they can come on and show the fun part of themselves. Um, so anyone who just has that breath of fresh air, who doesn't feel like we're out to get them... Um, our, our goal on the show four to five minutes is just, we oftentimes will dig into the archives of like, let's get a picture from when they're young. Let's get them to retell a story. We pull back moments where they've been on the show in previous years. If there's something goofy. Um, I think, I think if you were in person with Nick Sirianni, I think he's fantastic. Um, he was, you know, playing basketball with Kimi Chex at the combine. Um, but Sean McDermott so far for me has been one of my favorites.
1: Yeah. Anybody you haven't interviewed yet that you want, that you're dying to go one-on-one with?
2: Well, it's tricky. It's so different on the show because in my years that I was on the NFL sideline, those interviews with coaches are quite different than the time that we get on Good Morning Football. So... You know, I I have fond memories of my Patriots games that I covered because I do find parts of what Bill Belichick, even though sometimes the delivery is gruff or he doesn't want to go into the game side of it, his his takes on other things in life I think are tremendous. See, I, I remember one time I had a Pat's Browns game and he launched himself into like the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and why he has certain opinions about that. And those I think you know, getting somebody like that in a non football sense, which is hard to do with Coach Belichick. I think would I think is great and I would love to do that.
1: Yeah, I know you covered him for a couple of years up there, and I wish to hell sometimes he would show that side of himself, because the guy really is a genius. I mean, I saw a clip of him a couple of weeks ago, you know, somebody asked about special teams, and he went off on like this 15-minute dissertation where I learned so much about football. You know, I, I wish he would do that more often.
2: Yeah. The other person who um, I hope to have more on, it, again, the remote interview is so tough, and I really relish in when you get to sit down with somebody and be in person. But um, the second year GM in Minnesota, Quezzi Adolfa like I think he is so bright and so interesting and really part of that new wave of GMs in terms of how they approach. Vikings have had a tough start, but I'm a hometown girl, so I would love to have Quezzi on the show too.
1: Right. Okay. I'll, I'll let you go with one last question. What do you see in the big storylines going this season as it's Cowboys, uh, you know, uh, dominating. Is it Belichick possibly uh, having a losing season? What do you say? It's
2: so interesting. I don't know when this is going to air, but I, I feel like this week three has a lot of answers waiting for it on the other side, one of which is what you're talking about, which is the Patriots are playing the Jets. We're going to find out something real quick about Bill Belichick or Zach Wilson, for that matter. Um, I am so thrilled about the way the Dolphins have started. Although, it, although I realize that the Dolphins started games winning games this way last year i it's a totally different style of play this is like a powerful dolphins team that i did not anticipate seeing um the the trayvon diggs injury to dallas is i think that's really going to hurt them it really hurts my heart now that they have to take on the 49ers and the bills without trayvon diggs uh jason mccordy said on the show today that they brought in a veteran like stefan gilmore not because they needed gilly lock to be the gilly lock that used to be because they needed him to compliment Trayvon, But like, what do you do now? You have a fourth corner coming up to play in that spot. Um, you know, the, Oh, the B John Robinson, like experience with the Falcons. Again, this is, we're going to find something out about the Falcons this weekend, going to lions week three is really, really cool. And I can't wait to see on the other side, but those are, those are some of the big ones. Um, and if Aaron Rodgers comes back, that's the biggest overarching thing I think to carry into like next off season, which I don't even want to talk about yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well Jamie, thank you for your time and uh, thanks for joining us today on front office sports today
2: absolutely thank you good to see you
0: that's it for today subscribe on your favorite podcast app we're coming at you every weekday thanks for listening we will see you tomorrow